if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. And um, now, I have to tell you that I was talking to Eric, and I said, Eric, I really want to continue uh, where you are in Genesis. Um, will you let me? And he's like, no. So he's like, dude, you can have, you can have the whole Bible to choose from, but you can't, you can't do that. And I was like, okay. So I landed with Acts chapter 3. So let's pray tonight. Will you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for just your, your goodness and your love for us, Lord. You're so, you're so good to, to speak to our hearts through the power of your word. And Lord, we just pause right now to allow um, your spirit in to, to our thoughts and to our hearts and, and to give you way to speak through your word. Lord, we don't want this to be a routine or a mundane type of Bible study, but Lord, we want this to be spirit-filled, powerful tonight. And so would you come and speak to our hearts, Lord? Would you allow the words of this, of this chapter to, to, to just leap off the page and bring life to us, Lord? And so we ask this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. As we look at this um, section of scripture this evening, we need to understand what's taken place so far in this book to kind of have the context of what's happening in Acts chapter 3. And so up into, at this point, Jesus has ascended up into heaven and he is with the Father. Jesus uh, had also instructed his disciples, remember, in the, he said, "Don't I don't want you to... To, to go anywhere, I want you to wait. And so the disciples were, were instructed to wait. Pretty hard to do when Jesus had given them a mission to go and, and make disciples as well. And so they're sitting there in, in Jerusalem, and, he's, and, he, and he tells them to wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, which was the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, God pours out his spirit upon his disciples, and they're, uh, they're in the upper room, and they're praying, and, and, and this, this Holy Spirit moment comes, right? You, you, you know this moment where, where tongues of fire fall down on, on, the, on the, the disciples, and the Holy Spirit fills them, uh, it fills their lives, and fills, the, fills them with the Holy Spirit, and then Peter, being led by the Spirit of God, preaches this gospel message to the crowd of bystanders that are wondering what is going on in Jerusalem. And the result of that is 3,000 people get saved. And this is the beginning of the early church. God starts moving powerfully through the disciples' lives. We start to see these moments in, in Acts that are so beautiful. And, this is, and, and at the end of Acts, we see this simplicity of the early church. We, we see them devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship and to prayer. As, they give, uh, as, as God uh, starts to move out into the early church, as they spend time together in homes, uh, doing life together, 
and they're sharing things in common, and, and there's this, this beautiful uh, unity in the, in the body, in, in the church. And, and then, uh, the, so this is what's happening in, in Acts up until this point. And then we, we come into Acts chapter 3. So let's uh, look at verse 1 as we begin tonight. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So Peter and John are heading to the temple to pray, and if you know anything about the Jews, they would go to the temple morning, midday, and, and at night to pray, if you were a good Jew. And they, would get, they were just going there to, in the midday to, to spend some time in prayer uh, like they would normally do. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon. It was the busiest time of the temple. And, and they're in there, they're heading to the temple and in, going into to, uh, to enter. And we see them going together. This is a great model for ministry. Not to do ministry alone. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Not to do ministry alone, but to do it with someone else. Have you ever noticed that Jesus always sent his disciples out by twos? Why? It's interesting, isn't it? The reason is, is first for accountability. It's not, it's, it's harder to fall into sin when someone's with you. It's harder to, to compromise in the things of God, the things that you don't want to do, but, but you have a, a sin nature, and so it's easy to compromise when you're alone. And so, so Jesus w- sent the, his disciples out in twos. And secondly, it's for encouragement. Because one, when one is down and discouraged, the other one can pick the other up. Ecclesiastes says two is better than one. And so here's this picture of uh, Peter and John. They're heading to the temple and they're about to... Uh, encounter uh, a moment, a divine appointment with God. Look at verse two. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. This man was born lame, never walked, never played basketball, never played soccer, never ran through the sprinklers, never experienced those childhood excitements, never walked on the beach feeling the sand between his toes, never experienced any of that. Pretty mundane life that he probably experienced up until this point. Every day, placed in front of the gate. Never had the ability to go to the fridge when he got hungry or thirsty. He was born lame, crippled. He had to rely on his friends and his family to pick him up each day and to set him out in front of the gate to beg, to beg for money to take care of himself. You see, the only option he had was to beg. Please help me. Please help me. 
Josephus, uh, a Jewish uh, historian, writes of how big and how beautiful this gate was called beautiful. It was inlaid with copper. This gate would have been a sight to see. It was something as you would come up to it, you would stop and go, wow, that is so beautiful. You almost have this juxtaposition here of this beautiful gate with this great grandeur, right? This, this beautiful entrance, people walking in and walking out going, oh, wow, look at this. And just going into the temple and, and leaving the temple, walking in and going out. And at the same time, you have this lame man going nowhere in life, sitting in his poverty at the bottom of the gates. Interesting. Little does he know that his life is about to change that day. Look at verse three. Who seeing Peter and John about to go to the temple asked for alms. This lame man sees Peter and John and takes the opportunity to ask for alms. He probably had his normal bit that he would say to the people walking by, hello, uh, would you, do you have any spare change for the poor? Anything will help me, please, any change. And he would just say it as he would walk by because that's what he would do every day. Now remember, he was born lame from birth. He's probably said this phrase thousands and thousands of times as people walk through, not expecting people to stop, but hoping that they would. This reminds me of the Tatamata Indians in in Mexico, in Chihuahua, Mexico. Oftentimes when I would walk through the city of Chihuahua, the the native Indians, the Tatamata Indians, uh, would be on the street corners begging. And and they were displaced. They, they lived in the Copper Canyon of, of Mexico, yet they're, they're, they were starving, and a lot of them moved from the Copper Canyon to the city, and they, they're like a fish out of water in the city. They don't know what to do, and so they just kind of beg and, and hope for someone to help them in the, in the situation that they're in. And they would use this word called korima. And the word korima means... You are better off than me. You have more than me, so you need to give me something. Just something. And so they would say, Korima, Korima, Korima. And it's the same kind of idea here of this lame man saying, have mercy on me. Would you help me? Do you have some spare change to help me today? Notice what Peter and John do in verse four. And fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, look at us. So he looks at him and says, look at us. And he gave, his, gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So Peter and John were about, to, about their day as usual. They were going into the temple, they were probably going to head, they were heading into prayer. They were probably going to meet up with some of the disciples after prayer. Uh, Just kind of had their normal thing that they were going to do. 
And yet they encountered this lame man sitting out front. Now, they've probably seen this guy a number of times before. Let's be honest, they probably have gone through that gate a number of times because that's the normal entrance into the, into the temple. And that, main, that man was placed there every day by his friends. So that man is very common and very well known. He's the guy that sits out front and begs. Yet, this day is different. It's interesting. They probably are used to saying the same thing, just like we do when we go come in contact with people we see on the street. Oh, not today, uh, maybe, maybe next time. And yet, this time is different. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit just days before this, senses that God wants, to, wants him to stop and, and to minister to this man. Now, I'm not saying that we should stop and minister to every man that is like this. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Peter, in this moment, sensed that God wanted him to stop and minister to this man. It was a divine appointment for Peter and John, that moment, that day, for this man, for this day, for this moment. You ever had those happen in your life? You're walking along, you're, you're, you're just doing what you normally do, and then and God says, stop. I want you to, I want you to stop and ask that person if I, you could pray for them. Be led by the Spirit of God the moving of the Spirit of God. Church, oftentimes God wants to move through us by the moving of of his Holy Spirit to use us to minister to a neighbor if we're just listening and we're aware of what the Holy Spirit wants to do, to a friend, to reach out to a coworker. You know the moment where your heart starts to pound? You know what I'm talking about? And, And God's starting to go, you know, starts pushing you out toward a certain person and you're like, Uh, you start to feel God I don't know I'm not ready for this I don't know and then you and and he's saying come on I believe this is the key to the church becoming alive tonight this this message is called mission-minded ministry And the reason why I call it that is because God is calling us into mission with him. He wants us to be on mission with him each and every day. He wants you to know his heart and his desire for for the people that you encounter each and every day. This is the key for the church to become alive and, and to fulfill God's mission to make disciples. Allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us to those around us. The question is, are we ready? Are we really ready? Are we, are we listening to the voice of the Lord? Are we, being, are we discerning what the Spirit wants to do? Are we saying, Lord, what's your plan today for me? What is your will for me to, for you today? 
Are we praying those prayers? I think the deeper question we need to ask ourselves is this. Does God have permission in our lives to lead us? Does God have permission to lead our lives? Is he, is that the, is that what we ask him to do? Do we say, Lord, take, take control. Lord, where do you want me to go today? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Even if it seems kind of strange, even if it seems outside the box for you, will you trust him? Some of the greatest times with God uh, are when I've, I've said, okay, Lord, we're going to do this. I don't, I don't feel this is outside my box, but here we go. I remember uh, a man named Delfino in, in Chihuahua when I was pastoring at a, the church in Chihuahua. And uh, I remember he came in from the street. He was kind of an, uh, a really poor guy. And, and he said, hey, I want to I wash your car. Can I wash your car for, for money? And I thought to myself, we have these people come in all the time. And I was gonna, about to say my normal bit and say, oh, sorry, um, maybe next time. And God said, I want you to have me wash your car. And I was having this conversation with God. And I was like, God, my car's clean. Like, I just got it clean. And he's like, have him wash your car. And I said, you can wash my car. He said, oh, thank you. And halfway through, while he was um, washing my car, God said, I want you to go down and talk to him. Okay. So I went down and sat down with him as he was washing my car, and I just had a conversation. I said, tell me about your life. And he says, well, I don't, I don't really have any friends. I don't know anyone. Uh, I'm kind of an outcast, and I live way outside the city. And I feel like this is a good area that people are at least willing to give me work to work. So I gave him twice as much as I normally would give somebody and just blessed him. And that began a relationship. He came back to the church because sometimes you're wondering, is this guy legit? He came back to the church. I shared the gospel with him got saved. He started to become an intricate part of the church. Our staff meetings would get interrupted by Delfino coming up and going, hey guys, how are you? Can you, can I wash your cars today? And we're all like, sure, you know, and we were just like, everybody would say, wash our car, you know, and, and uh, he would just be so excited because now we became his family. He had no family. And I remember him one day saying, oh, I want you to come to my house so bad. I just want you to come and be a part of my, be a part of my home. So uh, a bunch of us on staff, we, we said, let's go, and, let's go and, and hang out with Delfino today. And so we went to his house, and it's way far away. I mean, it was like 45 minutes drive, and it's way out in the middle of nowhere, and it's just this little shack. This little cement building. We walk in, and he's like, I'm so excited for you to be at my house. This means the world to me. And he just began to cry. 
And we had brought lunch with us to have lunch. And we opened up lunch and he had like two chairs. A couple of us were sitting on the floor. We kind of put some stuff on a table and we had lunch together. Nothing special, but it was the most glorious moment. Those are the kind of moments I'm talking about. Are we, are we willing to let God lead us? Are we giving him permission to do that? So Peter says to him, look at us. Now at this moment, this lame man probably saw dollar signs, right? He's like, sweet, $10 bill, $20 bill coming my way. This is awesome. And then Peter looks at, looks at him and he says, silver and gold have I none in verse 6. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, I can imagine this lame man's thought when he first heard silver and gold have I, I do not have. Right? He's probably going, bummer. Like, I thought you were going to be the one today. Sometimes we can walk through life thinking to ourselves, God, I don't have anything to give in this situation. I don't have the resources to help anybody. I don't have silver and gold, God. I don't have anything. So what can I do? But listen up. God's work is not limited to your resources. God's work is not limited to the things that you have. So Peter says, but what do I have to give to you? He says, what I have to give to you what I, what I have, I do give to you. There's a spiritual truth here that I don't want you to miss this evening. And that is, we can't give away something we do not possess. We can't give away something we do not possess. Peter, through the power of the Spirit, realizes that he had something greater than money to give this man. He had something greater than things, possessions, to give this man. He had Jesus. Do you know that it's sad? You know what's sad about the church in, in America, oftentimes, is that we have silver and gold that we give people. We throw it at. We throw at situations, but we don't have Jesus. Oftentimes. We, we always go, oh yeah, here, here's, a, here's a little bit there and here, you know, let me help you out here. And, and, and so we're, we're always giving to something yet, yet what they really need is Jesus. And it's the last thing, it's the thing we don't give at all oftentimes. Church, what the world needs the most is Jesus. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Verse 7, and he took him by the hand, the right hand, and he lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Now Luke, the writer of this book, was a physician. He's a doctor. And he starts to use some descriptive medical language here. In the Greek, these are medical words used to describe certain areas of the foot and ankle. It's the back of the foot and the ankle, right in the back. And it's where the bones all connect. And his problem, as this, this, the problem of this lame man was in that area, and he just couldn't walk. He had to be set and picked up and placed. 
Yet the moment that Peter grabbed him by the hand and pulled him up is the moment that he was healed. That's like Peter, isn't it? Like, come on, bro. Bam, pulls him up, you know. I can just see Peter doing that. Like, dude, you're healed. Come on, man. Get up. Look at verse 8. And so he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, can you imagine what this man is thinking and feeling? Like, he's never walked before. He begins to walk. The dreams of being able to play kickball with his friends. All the things that he, he, he was like, oh, Lord, if I could just. And now it's possible. So, so awesome. And he begins to walk. No physical therapy needed. He just begins to walk. He begins to leap. Completely healed, he begins to leap and he begins to praise the Lord. It's God who has done this, he says, instant healing in, in that moment. And he makes his way into the temple. Now, he's never probably been in the temple because he was crippled. And now he's able to see what everybody else has been able to see for years. And he starts going in through the temple. And he's like, whoa, look at this. Wow. He starts, Jesus healed me. He begins to shout. He begins to make a ruckus in front of all these people. He begins to proclaim God's goodness. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God has healed me. He knows this was Jesus who healed him and not Peter. In what ways has God healed you in your life? Maybe he's healed your, your marriage. Maybe he's healed your past. Maybe he's healed you physically. And just for a second right now, can you just, just close your eyes and just say, thank you, God for healing me of whatever it is that he healed you of. Just give him glory and give him praise for just a second and just say, thank you, Lord. As this lame man begins to praise the Lord, a crowd begins to form around him. Look at verse nine. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and they knew that it was he who sat begging, uh, begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is not an ordinary day in the temple, right? No, everyone is now aware of what God has done to this lame man. You see, the purpose of God moving in our lives the purpose of God bringing healing in our lives is to bring wonder and amazement to the world of our God. That's the purpose. When God moves through our life, he wants to use our life then to proclaim his goodness to the world. To make it known that he's, he's done something powerful. It's for us to stand in awe of his power and his greatness and proclaim his majesty to a lost and dying world. For the world to see his greatness and turn to him. 
and say, I want what you have. I want that God that you have. Look at verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them into the, in the porch, which is called Solomon, greatly amazed. This man is clinging to Peter and John. He's holding on. The word in the Greek means chained. He was like chained to Peter and John. He wasn't letting go. He's like, you guys did something special. I'm holding on to you guys. I don't know what else I should do, but I'm holding on to you guys in, in, in this moment. The crowd of people are begun to gather around them. And this is a moment of great danger for Peter and John's ministry. Why? Because Peter and John could easily rob God of his glory in this moment, couldn't he? Couldn't they? They could easily steal the glory and begin to start, some, start to believe that it's something about them, that there's something special about them, that, 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 that God was using them instead of pointing them to God. You see, it's, easily, it's easy to begin to focus on the servants of Jesus rather than Jesus himself isn't it? The creation rather than the creator because we can see them. We can say, oh, Pastor Eric, you're so good. That's such a great message. Oh man, you're so godly. Greg Laurie, you're such a good, good preacher. How do, how do you do what you do? Chuck Smith or Chuck Swindoll or whoever it is and we start to lift these men up and thinking that they're special when it's all Jesus. They're just mere men being used by, by God. Peter could have begun his own healing ministry right here, right? And started selling these prayer beads. If you just pray these beads and, and you know, you'll be healed too. Here's some handkerchiefs. Uh, I bless them and so pass them out and, and they're only $10 a piece. Start a good ministry and and get some money back. Well, what does Peter and John do? Let's look at verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at this as though by your own power of godliness we made, the, we made this man walk? They give God the glory, don't they? I say, it's not, it's not anything of us. It's, it's not our own power, our own godliness that made them walk. Church, be careful that you're not stealing God's glory. You see, God uses us all the time, doesn't he? That's, what he, that's why he has built his church. So he uses us daily, all the time, just be careful that you don't steal his glory. Give God the glory that he's due. Don't be a glory stealer. Let's move, look on in verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, 
glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, which we are witnesses. Wow, Peter. Peter's confronting this crowd that's gathered in the temple, right? He's telling them like it is. He's, he's giving them business. I commend Peter for his boldness here because I want you to remember something. Just months before this, Jesus was crucified. And he was crucified by these same people that said, crucify him. The Jews that were coming to the temple are the ones that said, put him on the cross. And now Peter is saying, you're the ones that put him on the cross. And he is alive and, 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 and he wants to know you and wants to empower you today. Now that was a risk that Peter had to take. But he's filled with the spirit of God now. The Spirit uh, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and filled him up, and now he's ready to go and preach to God, the good news, to be his Christ's witness to the world. He's not fearful. He's filled with boldness because Christ has captured his heart. Because Christ has forgiven him in John chapter 21. Because Christ has called him into ministry and said, I have a purpose for you, Peter. I'm going to use your life. I'm going to use you to transform people's lives. And God wants to do the same through us. Verse 16, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him, who, uh, him, has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Peter says, it's the name of Jesus. It's faith in the name of Jesus that's made this man well, made this man whole. Church, do you believe that in the name of Jesus that God wants to heal your family? In the name of Jesus, he wants, you to, he wants to use you to save your neighbor. In the name of Jesus, he wants you to, to use you to shine your light into the darkness of our city. Do you know that? It's faith in Jesus Christ that brings power to the church. Do you see that? It's faith in the name of Jesus Christ, the powerful name of Jesus Christ, that gives us power as a church to then go out and do what we do. That's awesome. Let's look on in verse 17. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did not, you did, you did it in ignorance as did your, uh, as did your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Ultimately, it was the crucifixion of Christ that was the fulfillment of prophecy. 
This was the fulfillment of God's plan. His plan, Peter's saying here, it's God's plan for Christ to go to the cross. That was God's, the Father's plan. Verse 19, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Oh, man, that's such a great verse. I would encourage you to underline it and and, and remember that one. Peter here is calling this crowd of people to repentance. The word repent literally means to to do a U-turn. To to do a 180, you're going one direction and now you turn around and you start to head the opposite direction. That's what he's talking about. To know God, to be a disciple of Jesus, a believer must first turn from his sin and repent and then turn to God. In, Rome, in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mark 1, 15, Jesus also said, repent and believe in the gospel. But it says repent. Now, that's kind of a heavy word, right? Repent. It just feels heavy. But it, it really is a challenge. You're going this way. You know it's not right. You know it's not good. And you begin, you say, okay, I'm going to go the opposite way. Peter is offering this crowd forgiveness through repentance. The same offer is being offered to you as well tonight. Jesus is saying to us tonight, come, repent from your sin. Let the conviction of the Holy Spirit convict our hearts tonight of the things that we have fallen into, the, the, the ways of this world, and then respond to his invitation of forgiveness. It's an open invitation. Come. I, look at verse 19 again. I love this. That your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that what we need in our lives? To know that our sin has been blotted out, has been erased. So that what? That times of refreshing may come. How many of you want times of refreshing? Amen, right? Times of refreshing. Those are such moments that I long for. But you know what the key is? You know what the key is to, I mean, to all those that just rose, raised their hand? Repentance. Repentance is the key. I remember the day that I gave my life to Christ. And in that moment that I said, God, I'm all yours, that weight of sin was lifted. You know what I'm talking about? The weight, the bondage, this heavy weight I was carrying around, all my mistakes, all the things that I had had done wrong, all the sin that I I was like burdened with, God just went, and just took it off me. And, and was able to blot it out. And guess what came right after that? A moment of refreshing. I was sitting at the, at the altar, go, just weeping, going, Lord, you're so good. Oh, Lord, you're so, your presence is so amazing. I can't believe you love me. 
times of refreshing to come in the presence of God. We need to come and we need to repent. And you know what? God will be faithful to forgive us. And you might be saying, Sean, I, I've come a thousand times and I've, I've said, God, I'm so sorry, a thousand times. And you know what God says? Come again. Just come. You see, what, you know what the problem is? Is we're not sorry over our sin anymore a lot of times. We've just allowed it to remain. And there's not real true repentance. It just kind of hangs out there. So then that true forgiveness doesn't come and that refreshing doesn't come. How about tonight when we go into communion that we just say, God, I'm so sorry. That area of sin, of anger, that sexual sin, that thing that has overcome me over and over again. I'm just not going to let it be. I'm not going to let it remain again and just kind of hang out in my, my life. I'm going to repent tonight again. Look at verse 20. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Church, there is a restoration that is coming. Amen? There's a restoration that's coming when God is gonna make all things right. It's coming. He's talking, Peter's quoting Deuteronomy 18 here. Referring to God restoring all things. Look at verse 22. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Speaking of Jesus, him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. So Peter's saying the prophet Jesus has come. And if you reject him and his words, then soon you will, you will receive destruction. Verse 24, yes, all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. Verse 25, you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God, God made uh, with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Peter is speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to the, the, those that are in the, the temple there. And he's quoting Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. All the prophets throughout the scripture have pointed to the Messiah. Jesus, one that would come and set the captives free. And in his seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Church, this is good news. What Peter is declaring is that salvation is not only for the Jews, but it's for all the peoples of the earth. 
that's great news because most of us here are not Jews. And we can, we can thank God and we can say, Lord, thank you for coming and loving me. Thank you for reaching out and, and wanting me to know me. Look at this last verse of this chapter. To you first God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from their iniquities. Peter says, it begins with you, Israel. It begins with you. God's plan from the beginning was to start with the Jews, was to start with you. But from there, it is to go to the world. You see, church, God's heart is for all to know him. Every nation, every people, every tribe, every language, to know Jesus. You know, as I went to, to uh, pastor a church in, in, to start, to plant a church in Chihuahua, Mexico, I had people ask me a question. Why, why are you going to Mexico when, when we, need, we have people here in the United States that need to get saved? Why are you going over there? Why don't you just stay here and, 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 and help us save the people in America? And I, I, just, I was just dumbfounded by, there was a number of people that asked me that question. Why are you leaving America to go to Mexico to help them? And I'll tell you why. Because God loves all the peoples of the world. And he wants every tribe, every nation, every people, every language to be in, in heaven with him. In Romans, let me read this, this, this verse for you. Romans 10, 13 through 15. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him if, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good news. The reason why we go to Peru and to Uganda, to Mexico and to Pakistan and to Iraq is because those people need Jesus. They need Jesus just as much as our city needs Jesus, yet they don't have the opportunity to hear the gospel like we do. We can turn on the TV, we can turn on the radio, but you can't do that in Pakistan. They, don't, they can't hear the gospel openly in Pakistan. Someone's got to go. And that's why we go. And so as you hear of people being, going out, don't ask that question. Get behind them. Pray for them. Say, man, I'm so excited for you. I know I, I'm probably not called to that, but, but I'm glad that you are. And encourage them and get, and get behind them and, and, and send them out well because how will they know unless they're sent? The gospel needs to go out. Now, I, I want to end with this. 
We're not going to go into chapter 4, but we need to understand what happens in chapter 4 because that helps us conclude this tonight. Now, catch the scene here, right? This lame man sitting uh, at, the, at the gate. He gets healed, right? He begins to go into the temple. He starts jumping around and leaping and praising God. It's like, Jesus healed me. Jesus healed me. Peter sees the moment uh, uh, to preach the gospel. This guy's clinging to him. And he's like, Jesus is who, who did this. The one you crucified is the one that's raised him up from his crippledness. And he wants to know you and he wants to be in your life. He wants to bring salvation to your hearts. Now that's what Peter's preaching the gospel. He's going for it. And this crowd of people, this huge crowd is gathered around. And in chapter 4, the, the priest of the captain of the temple and the Sadducees come and they lay hands on Peter and John. How kindly, right? It's not the Christian kind of laying your hands if you know what I mean. They come and they lay hands on him and they throw him into prison. Peter and John, because of their boldness, is now sitting in prison in jail going, oh Lord, what are we going to do now? But they trust the Lord. Eric, Pastor Eric, just taught on persecution, just just. Weeks, just a week ago. Like, persecution's coming. Tribulations are, are, we should expect them in the Christian life. And if your life is too, too easy, too, uh, too Christian, so to speak, that you're not rubbing yourself with anyone of the world, then, then, then we're not making any impact at all. And maybe God would want us to step out and to be bold just like Peter for the, for, for the gospel's sake. To stir up this city. To stir up our state because our state is going down the hill quickly. So they're put in prison, yet, yet, God is not done, right? You know what the result of Peter's obedience was? What is his, the result of his preaching was? 5,000 people come to know Jesus because of that moment. The Spirit of God begins to move powerfully through the disciples, And it didn't come without opposition, but it came with God on their side. And God gets them out of jail, and they go and preach again. And if you watch through the book of Acts, they're just chasing them around, trying to get them. And God's like, nope, you're not going to have them now. You're not going to have them now. Keep going. And, And God just starts to do amazing work. And that's why we have the gospel today right here, because of that. As we prepare for communion, and as Billy comes out, I want, you to, I want you to remember these points as we close. Not to do ministry alone. Don't go do it alone. Do it with somebody. 
walk this Christian life with people. Do the Christian life together. Number two, to give God permission to lead in our lives. God, what do you want to do with me today? How do you want, how do you want me to, to love someone today? As I close, yesterday I was out with my wife in the city. And we were down south off of Platte and Shelton. And uh, we, we had to stop at the gas station. There's a Circle K right there. And I pulled in. I saw this, this couple sitting over to the side. And they were you know, maybe 20, 19, 20, 21 years old. This girl um, kept kind of going down to her, her bag and, uh, and, and snorting something in her nose. She'd be, you know, like kind of high. It was probably meth or coke. And, and I was just watching this happen. Her, her nose was kind of red and she was kind of, you know, twitching and, and like, you know, and then she would go down for another hit and then she'd come back up and she was just like, and I was just watching this and I was sitting in my car. I got really sad because that's a life that Jesus loves. And I wasn't sure what to do. I didn't go over to her. I didn't talk to her that day, yesterday. And my wife got, she had to run in and get something in, in the store and then she came back out. We talked for a second about the couple and then we left. And then that night, we were praying with our kids, and we said, there's this couple that we saw, and we just want to pray for them. We just began to pray. Yet, I wondered if I would have just been a little bit more in tune with the Spirit of God, that maybe he wanted me to do something more. Maybe he wanted me to get out of my car. Maybe he wanted me to stop and, and love, love this couple differently than I did in just praying. I don't know. But I'm challenging myself with this. God, do you have leadership? Do you have permission to lead my life in what I do and how I interact with people? Do you have that place? Do you have that? And I just want to encourage you to pray that. Lord, you do have permission in my life to lead me and to lead me into those situations that you want me to, to love. To be looking for divine appointments all around you. To be careful not to steal God's glory and make repentance a commonplace thing in your lives. Amen? Would you pray with me as we go to communion? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this section of scripture, Lord, it's just a challenge to, to, to do ministry in the spirit of God and not in our own will and in our own way, but to be led by the spirit, God. But Lord, um, it takes repentance and repentance comes through humility, Lord. And so, Lord, um, we come tonight, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for 
this communion table, that we can come and we can uh, look to the cross, we can look to your broken body and your shed blood that has cleansed us, Lord, that we can come and, and, and repent from our sin and receive forgiveness tonight and go, Lord, we're set free and we can start to experience the refreshment the times of refreshing, Lord, that you're talking about here in Acts chapter three, Lord, we want that tonight. But Lord, may it not stop there. May it take us into this, the city, into our workplace, into the world, uh, and, and begin to make an impact because, because the, the spirit of God is moving and living inside us. And so, Lord, may we, um, may we respond to that tonight as we take communion together. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.